explore Bible study. And uh, thanks for coming out on this dark and mild night. Because it's not cold, is it? It's uh, unusually mild for the time of year, I think. Um, which I think is a blessing given some of the challenges some people are facing right now, right? But uh, I expect it to get colder in the coming weeks. You see there was a tension 
going on between Jews and Gentiles in the church. It was a big issue in the early church, guys. It was a big issue. How, how does this work out? You know, this, these promises were given to Jews and to Israel. How do Gentiles come into relationship with the God of Israel? What's required of them? And so we can see in the book of Acts, you see Acts chapter 15, there was a council that was convened in Jerusalem to, to address some of these issues. And it wasn't easy. And, and, and that was one of the mysteries that Jew and Gentile would become one in Messiah, in Christ. And so, um, the Apostle Paul's writing this letter, and I think that's a fitting backdrop to the letter, because I think it explains a lot of what he says. If we keep that in mind, those tensions that were there, you've got an idea of why they were there. And now all of the, like, the, 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 the theology, the thinking behind that, between Jews and Gentiles. We go to Romans chapter 9 to 11, which is one of the most difficult, the most controversial passages in the whole of the Bible, Romans 9 to 11, where you deal with all that really difficult language. You talk about predestination, you talk about election. I really think that the, the, the backdrop, the correct backdrop, is this tension that existed between Jews and Gentiles within the church. All believers, but just wrestling with this idea that Gentiles can be included in the, in the covenants of Israel. <coughs> Amen. But we need to jump forward tonight. Just, let's go to Romans chapter 1. This is where we finished last week. We didn't finish there. We went here. Alright. One of our key passages, and we all know it. I'm sure we've heard it many times. For I am not ashamed, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek, and also for the Gentile. Yeah? I'm not ashamed, Paul says. Why would he say that? He's not ashamed of the opposite. Because of the opposition he was going to get, principally from his own people. His own people were the ones who gave him the hardest time, really. Because suddenly, you know, not only was he preaching the crucified Messiah and so on, but he was, he was involving Gentiles without a need to convert to Judaism. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. This is the power of God. The gospel of Christ. The reason you're sitting here tonight is that at some point you heard this gospel of Christ. That for 2,000 years have been transforming lives both Jew and Greek. Both Jew and Gentile. In so many different places. In so many different languages. It doesn't matter. That, that gospel is proclaimed and that gospel bears fruit and brings about the salvation of individuals, of people. Everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So let's just think about that for a moment. The power of the gospel. Paul is not ashamed to proclaim the gospel despite the opposition. The power of God for salvation is revealed in it. And that's why we need to get it right. We need to get it right, we need to be faithful, don't we? And understand what the gospel is. And I know you've spent time, Judy's been spending time recently, and others have spent time explaining and teaching what is the gospel. What is it? Well, the message contains the power of God for salvation and is revealed in it, available to everyone who believes, both Jew and Gentile. No distinction. The gospel has the power to save because. The righteousness of God is revealed in it. This is the key ingredient. The righteousness of God is revealed in it. A righteousness that is based on faith in agreement with Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. You've heard that when that's quoted, that's who spoke to the prophet Habakkuk. It's not something new. It's not a, something that's just coming to be Justification has always been by faith. It's always been by faith. And he's going to build on that. He's going to pick that apart in Romans chapter 4. But I just want us to 
Chronicles about that word salvation. Salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. Salvation from what? What is salvation? Now that you need to help me. Because you can see that horse tonight, can't you? And I'm going to need your help. Salvation, let's have some ideas. Well, what is it? From what? What does it entail? From our sins. Salvation from our sins. That's a good starting point. Yes? Salvation from being separated from God. Yeah? From hell. Salvation from hell. Salvation from ourselves. <coughs> we need saving from ourselves. Don't we? Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good. Anything else? Anything else? Just to be rescued, isn't it? Being rescued. Yeah. Being saved is being rescued. It, we love it, but it came at a price. A 
And we should never tire of giving thanks to God for, for, the, for the, the sacrifice of his son. We should never allow that to become just, a, just another weekly ritual that we go through. You know, we need to hold on to that because I'm sure that one day when you stand before him and you realise in that day, you may not realise it now, but you realise as you're looking into the face of our Lord Jesus Christ on that day and you realise the only thing that qualifies you to stand in his presence is the grace of God. Yes. You know? And more, even more so, with great, I'm saying this with sadness in my heart, as for all of us, as we recognise what we've been saved from on that day. Yeah. You know, I'm sure <coughs> it'll become clearer on that day. Maybe right now we're not seeing it. We will do one day, we will fully appreciate it, what we've been saved through, for, from. Through him. Glory to God. So, Romans 1 17. For it, in what? In the gospel. In this message that Paul is not afraid, is not ashamed to proclaim to Jew, to Gentile. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want to just camp out here for a moment and talk about the righteousness of God. Dikesune theum. The righteousness of God. <laughs> Praise God. What is it? We read it, we come across this, this phrase a number of times in Paul in the book of Romans. This is where you're going to find it most. The righteousness of God. That, as much as we see it when we read it and we think it looks wonderful, it's actually quite controversial. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, there are four possibilities. Just to throw a cat on some pigeons. We could be talking about the justice of God. Because righteousness and justice pretty much the same words, okay? The righteousness or the justice of God. So, for example, in Romans 3 and verse 25, <coughs> Romans 3 verse 25, Paul says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you can see here in this particular passage, Romans 3 verse 25, that he's actually speaking about God's justice. He's actually speaking about God's justice. Why would he say that? Because it says in times past, God overlooked the sins of those who had faith. They were looking forward, remember, to the cross. It hadn't happened yet. But in, in this day, when it had happened, God was demonstrating that he's still a just God. That he didn't just overlook those things and forget about them. Oh, it doesn't matter. But now it matters post-cross. No. He's saying, he's demonstrating that he's a just God. How? By sending his son to die on the cross to pay for the, pay the price for the sins that have been committed in the past, but will also be committed in the future. Do you understand that? So in this case, in this particular, these, these uh, verses here, it's talking about God's justice, God's righteousness. It can also talk about God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of God to his covenants. It can talk about the status of righteousness given by God, and this is where we're getting closer to what I think the meaning is in Romans 1.17. The status of righteousness given by God. Number four, the act of putting people in the right judiciary, performed by God. And we can see that in Romans 3.21, for example. Romans 3, verse 21, he says, But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being 
witness by the law and the prophets. So in this instance here, verse 21, he's talking about something, a, a righteousness that is not of the law. You understand? And we, we know that to be the righteousness of faith, don't we? That we're justified, we receive it by faith. So it's something that God gives to us. The act, I want you to think about that for a moment, the act of putting people in the right, judicially, performed by God. So let's go back to Romans 1.17. Romans 1 verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God, or the act of putting people in the right, judicially, performed by God, is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's like it starts with faith and it finishes with faith. From going from faith to faith. Do you understand that? So, so just think about that again. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God, or in other words, the act of putting people in the right judicially, performed by God, is revealed from faith to faith. Everybody with me? I just think it means, yeah, I would say, start to finish. from start to finish, that's absolutely well, that's right. It's always been a matter of faith and it's, all, every, it's, all, it's a matter of faith. Okay. Yeah. From faith to faith, that's yeah. what I understand by it. Okay. Totally. Uh, and it brings that out in Romans 4 later on, it talks about Abraham and so on. So, and then he finishes out by saying, the just shall live by faith. Quoting Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. It can be faithfulness as well, by the way. Again, there's a little bit of a controversy about that. Amen. So, just rounding that up then. The gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation to all those that believe. Um, Paul's not ashamed of it. Why? Because it reveals the way to be right. <laughs> Judicially before God. Is that simple? That's why Paul says Man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to proclaim this because it's only this way. It's this way. Yeah. It's, it's not the law. You understand? It's faith. It's not the, it's not the, the works of the law. He's going to justify anybody. It's faith. It's from faith to faith. It starts with faith. It ends with faith. It is faith. Because the just shall live by faith. We're justified through faith. By God's grace through faith. Amen. I hope that clarifies that verse for you. I will say to you, this, like I said to you before, this particular, this phrase, the righteousness of God, is a subject of contention and, and controversy and, and discussion right now about what it means. But I think this is a, this is a, a fitting description. <coughs> so, that's my first half now. <laughs> Goodness. Have you spent half an hour? I thought I spent about ten minutes speaking about this. <laughs> So God has revealed his righteousness, okay, the way to become righteous in his sight, through the gospel. But he's also revealed something else. Now you can see here these, these diamonds, right? And they're on the... Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to, like, you've been to a shop or there's not that you go to a shop and buy diamonds. Yeah. All the time. All the time. <laughs> All the time. Where are they? <laughs> no? Toys out? Anyway. Um, so, so you go into a jewellery shop and, and, and you want to see some jewels. And, and, and then the, the jeweller gets these jewels out. But usually, what they'll do is they'll put down a dark cloth or something first, don't they? Why? Because, because these diamonds, they shine brighter against the dark background, don't they? Well, this is what Paul is going to do here. We're about to, 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 or he's about to lay down, you know, that, that dark background. So that the, the glory of God's gospel might shine brighter. Yeah? And he's going to do that from verses 18. That's what he's going to do through to the end of the chapter. <coughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Don't look. <laughs> yeah. no, 
It's not common, it's not popular to hear these things today. We don't like to think about things like the wrath of God. You know, we don't like to speak about these things because we like to focus on the God of love. And we have difficulty reconciling the idea that a God of love could demonstrate wrath in any way. So we're going to talk about what that is in a moment. Just, I want you to notice for a moment the revelations of God. God has revealed things in His Word. Number one, God has revealed His glory through creation. Verses 19 and 20, because what may be known of God is manifest to them or in them, for God has shown it to them. God has revealed Himself. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. He reveals His wrath against the sin of those who suppress. Remember I emphasized the word suppress. You can't suppress something that you don't have. If you don't have it, you're not suppressing anything, are you? You're not. It's not there to suppress. But if you have it, you can suppress it. He says, reveals against, uh, reveals his wrath against the sin of those who suppress the knowledge of him. That's in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness or wickedness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Number three, he reveals his righteousness. Praise God, we've already spoken about that. The righteous way to be reconciled and the way that he restores humanity. Verse 16, we've heard already, he reveals his power in man's life to save him. So God's revealing things through his word, especially in these early chapters of Romans. So let's just have a think about this for a moment. The wrath. The wrath of God. The revelation of God's wrath. So, verse 18. Trinity again, I'm just reading it. Let's read it again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So, has anybody got the NIV? Can you read that first verse in the NIV? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Amen. That's it. That's all. Did you notice in the English there, there is the present continuous, is being revealed. Not, not will be revealed. We've talked about wrath and we'll talk about wrath that will be revealed one day. You see, when we think about the wrath of God being revealed, usually our minds jump forward to the day of judgment, right? We think about that terrible day, how difficult that day will be when God's wrath is poured out. But I want you to notice the NIV, you've got translated this beautifully, is being revealed. In the Greek, it is a present tense. Um, verb, and so that can be present and ongoing. Do you understand that? So the wrath of God is being revealed, present, continuous. Not will be, is being revealed. Okay, that's an important thing to hold on to. <coughs> well, let's think about the wrath of God. What do we mean by wrath? What does wrath mean? Anger. Wow. Anger. We don't like to think about angry God, do we? Again, it's difficult to, to reconcile the idea of God, love, and peace, and all these things, and, and yet, anger. <coughs> anger. But we need to understand there's a difference between what we would describe as anger and what the Bible is teaching us here. Number one, it's not a capricious emotion like that of human wrath. Human anger. So capricious means that you, you know you can it's, it's up and down. One day you upset, wound up terribly, and that was really that was a pain. You know, that was the idea of the Greek gods and so on. You know, they might be having an off day. They might not be angry. They might be 
something to pacify them. You need to, to come and bring them some kind of a, an offering or whatever to get on the good side. Alright, so it's not a capricious emotion like that of human wrath. We, when we get angry, usually we lose control. There's an element of pride in it, isn't there? You know, somebody's upset our pride or whatever, we, we, we can be vindictive, we want vengeance for something. That's human wrath. The wrath of God is not a, a capricious emotion like that of humans. Listen, it is the necessary response of a perfect and holy God to violations of his will. It is the necessary response of a perfect and holy God to violations of his will. If God simply overlooks and doesn't care, you know, then he is not holy and he is not just. I've said this to you before. If you, God forbid, if somebody did something against a member of your family and that, that criminal is caught and you go to the, to the court to witness the, the sentence in the that criminal and that criminal stands before the judge, what do you expect? You expect justice. You expect the judge to execute justice because he represents justice, doesn't he? Okay? What about if that, 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 just, that justice, that, that judge, just turns a blind eye and says it doesn't matter? Of course that would never happen. What would, what would you think? Is that, is that justice? That's unjust. That's unjust. How much more a holy and just, the very standard of justice and righteousness, a holy, perfect God, he has to demonstrate he has to respond, he has to react against violations of his will. It's absolutely contrary to his nature, contrary to everything he is. So there has to be a reaction, if not, he's not a holy, perfect and just God. I hope you can see that. You know, sometimes, I'm just thinking back to, to a situation a few years ago, there were a couple, an Indian couple who were living in Boris, and... Uh, they were, on the surface, they were really nice. You'd see them, you'd bump into them in the, in the car park and we'd talk on the stairs. And they were lovely and sweet. And, and you wouldn't think. Of course, I live in, live in the apartment below. And at one o'clock in the morning, bang, bang, and I'd wake up and then it would go off. And, and I remember there was just this. I didn't know what it was in the beginning. I didn't know what was going on. Anyway, it would happen occasionally. And. Uh, and the more this was going on, I was getting wound. I was getting angry. Because I knew what was going on. When I was looking at her the next day, when I could saw she got no marks or anything, but when I heard, I was hearing these things. And uh, I was trying to say, embarrassing, it's hard to, to deal with, you know. Because I'll be honest with you, I wanted to. Bless him, I wanted to. <laughs> no, because it was all sweet and innocent. Like, no, 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 no. And, uh, one day, one night, I was lying there, and we got guests, and it was kicking off. I said, that's it. So I went upstairs. <laughs> You're thinking I'll kick the door down and everything. <laughs> Those days are long gone, guys. Knocked on the door, like a law-abiding citizen. And, uh, and he came to the door, and I said, what's going on? Oh, me, me, me mother's playing, me mother. My mother's playing up the machine, got a few parts. It's not your mother. I said, I know exactly what you're doing. I said, I'm going to I said, I'm going to the police, right? Oh, no, no, he won't. It's not the police. You know, anyway, it all calmed down and off they, off they went. But the indignation within us, do you understand that? The indignation, when you know something, you see injustice being committed, and you, you've got that in, indignation. I'm sure you've had your own incidents, your own things that you've seen, and you just thought, I've got to do something. I've got, friends, how much more God Almighty? How much more God Almighty? When he sees the injustice. You know, if you think about it, think about his patience. Right now, the patience that he's demonstrating towards us. The stuff that's going on in this world we're living in. The injustice.
injustices that are being committed against against other humans and so on, it's, it's, it's appalling. God will deal with it, but he's also been dealing with it. He's also revealed his wrath. There is coming a day of reckoning. Anyway, I just want you to know what he says, what John Stott says. The alternative to wrath is not love. Sometimes we can make that mistake. We can think, well, he's either going to be wrathful or he's love. The alternative is not love, but neutrality. In the moral conflict. <coughs> and God is not neutral. God is not neutral. He is a perfect, holy, righteous, just God. And sin grieves him. He abhors sin. Everything it is and everything that it, it does. Okay. The wrath of God will ultimately be revealed at the coming day of judgment. Romans 2 and verse 5. Romans 2 and verse 5. He says here, uh, I'll read verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so he's talking about the future there. He's not talking like he did in chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 18 about the now. He's talking about that future day. And he's saying you're storing up for yourself wrath. And we'll talk about who he's speaking to and why in our next uh, session. However, even now, God is punishing human sin with his wrath. Just, just read that, right? Established that there's a day of wrath that's coming, but he's doing it now. It's always already being revealed from heaven. How? <coughs> 19 to 21. Romans 1, verse 19 to 21. Because, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power of Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Humanity is without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, became futile, foolish in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? So we've got here the reason. God's wrath. We've seen that he's revealing his wrath. We'll talk about how he's doing that shortly. But he's the reason for it. Number one, people suppress the truth that God has revealed to them about himself instead of responding appropriately. You know, when you go out uh, on a walk or wherever you go, and you know I love the mountains, I've talked about, about mountains many times. You go and you look, and I'm always in awe, in awe of creation. I never, I never was before, I couldn't care less before, but nowadays I can walk through this woods, I can see the, the intricate details of creation, I see things changing, every, the order. You, you know, you see the mountains, you look out on, on, the, on the landscape, you see how beautiful, you hear the birds, it's, it's awesome, isn't it? All of it reveals the glory. The lot, all of this, it's like, it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like a painting. You know, it's absolutely the favour of going to see Van Gogh's museum in, uh, in Amsterdam uh, last year, I think it was. I'm going to be honest, I'm bored today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I looked at, after about first gallery, I was looking at, that's interesting, that's interesting. Then we were like looking at these, like, imagine this day with the earphones on. <laughs> But anyway, but looking at you know, you're looking at these beautiful, these beautiful pictures, the paintings, all the details, and everything else. Friends, creation is God's portrait, not portrait, God's picture, isn't it? It's got God's signature all over it, hasn't it? It's there. 
You know, I climbed Mount Sinai. Climbed Mount, Mount Sinai in 2012 and 2008. Johnny's been there as well, in, in, in the deserts of Egypt. And we went up during the night. And uh, as you go, you can imagine the middle of the desert. There's no light pollution. I remember looking up into the sky and seeing the stars. Millions of stars, millions and millions of stars. Look, you know, I'm thinking about Abraham. You know what he saw? And you just, you're in awe of it. You watch the sun rise over the desert. You get up there, you stop, you have about half an hour at the top. And then the sun rises over the desert. You watch it on the horizon, just light up the desert. It's awesome. God's creation. God's signature. It's all over creation. Details, friends. There's so many things we could say about this. You know, even the ancient philosophers, they, the, the way philosophy started, they started to ask the question, they could see the order in creation. They started to ask the question, well, what's behind it? God. God is behind it. He's revealed himself appropriately. He's revealed himself sufficiently to be known. We'll talk about to what limit, to what extent in a moment. Anyway, God has revealed this truth in a limited sense to all human beings through the natural world around us. In other words, there's enough evidence all around you. There's enough evidence to know that God is real. To know that He's there. To know that He's created us and created all of this. It's called general revelation. General, we'll talk about a special revelation next time. But general revelation. Psalm 19, verse 1. Who's going to read that for us? Psalm 19, verse 1.
a creation. We should recognise enough evidence to say there is. Some people do, don't they? Some people do. Some people don't, uh, uh, even acknowledge that there's a God because it's too, it's there. You can see it. You know, they call it all kinds of things and, and, and uh, higher power or, or intelligence. What is it? Higher intelligence and one thing and another. Even scientists, intelligent design, you can see it. But it's, it's, there's enough evidence to stand up in court against you and to, you know, unfortunately, you know, and to, to condemn because it's there. There's no excuse, Bible said. No excuse because that revelation should lead to a, another deeper revelation. It should lead us to a special revelation. But unfortunately, it doesn't. What happens is, so many of us, we've all been there, is that we suppress that truth, ignore it, and live our lives independently. We don't need to be told what's right or wrong. We just live our life. Everybody else is that way. So let's all live that way, you know. <coughs> so that that's really important. The way we look at society, especially us evangelicals, Pentecostals, we love to talk about the love of God, and we should do. We absolutely should do. And we should have compassion on the lost. But we should understand that the lost are guilty. As we are all and have been guilty. They're not victims, innocent victims of sin. Do you understand that? We've got to get that right. Because if not, you start to, have to feel sorry for everybody and think God's being harsh. We Humanity is guilty. If we were stood in the dark, we would be guilty. There's no excuse. You've read it there. There's no excuse. All of us deserve condemnation. There's enough evidence. Why? Because God has made it plain. We have suppressed that truth. Not just through that, there's something. There's more to come, friends. We'll talk about that. We've suppressed it. We've decided to go our own way. We're responsible. We're sinners. In need of a saviour. Yes, of course, have compassion. We've got to have compassion on the lost. Yes, we've got to love the lost. But we must understand that they stand before God guilty as charged. We have to understand that. They're at enmity with God. The wrath of God abides upon them, the scriptures say. That's so important. Because if not, what we'll do is we'll get an unbalanced understanding of God. We'll get a distorted understanding of God where all we do is just emphasize his love. And then we're happy when we tell people Jesus, Jesus loves you. We think we've shared the gospel. Jesus loves Yes, absolutely Jesus loves you, but in order to understand the bad and the good news, we've got to understand the bad news. We've got to understand the bad news. It's repentance. Repentance is required. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many times did he say repent? Paul teaches the people, you've got to repent. Turn from your sin. You're guilty. Your guilt is charged. We all are. We're not innocent victims of sins. We're the perpetrators. We're perpetrators. Got to get that right. Got to get that right. If not we're, not, we're not being faithful with the gospel. What are the results? Just to finish. <coughs> the results of God's wrath. Verse 22 to verse 32. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read the chapter. Number one. What happened? What happens when somebody suppresses the truth, ignores the evidence, doesn't seek after God? What happens? So number one. Humans practice idolatry. Having exchanged, we saw that word sometimes, exchanged the knowledge of the true God for idols and professing to be wise, verse 22. Professing to be wise. So when you don't know the true God, you start creating your own. You start to form and conform gods to your own and to what you think he should be like. Next, therefore humans are given up. Or given over, you saw that maybe two or three times, didn't you, in that passage? Given over to the lusts of their sinful nature, which is evidenced by sexual immorality. So, what I want you to notice that when 
Margaret read out, the wrath of God is being revealed, present continuous. What does that look like? That looks like the people, humanity say, we don't know. And God says, okay, I'll give you opportunity. That's the wrath of God. That's how it's being revealed. He gives humanity over. You want to walk that way? That's the way you walk. And you'll live or suffer the consequences thereof. Can you see that? God give, gave up humanity. But there's more to come. I don't need to. Yes, I'm trying to drill hope. You know, and, and put that dark cloth down if you want. So that we can see the diamonds later. Humans are given up to the lusts of their sinful nature, which is evidenced by sexual immorality. Verse 26 and 7, 27 says this, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Okay? So, basically, I know that there are studies and scientists would like to say, oh, you know, there's genes, it's a genetic thing and everything else. What is the explanation for homosexuality in our, and all everything else, all the other distortions of sexuality within our society? What is the biblical explanation? The wrath of God is being revealed. God has given us over to our vile passions. Do you understand that? I know that's hard. Because I know that we all know people who are homosexual, or maybe transsexual, or whatever you may have, people in your family, we know that. But we've got to have an understanding that this is not here to condemn these people. The Bible says they're already condemned. Humanity is already condemned. And we don't understand there and just single out one thing. Paul does that because I believe what he's trying to say is society has become so lost, so so far from God, that the, so sinful that the very fabric of society is being pulled apart. Families, man and woman coming together to be to be man and wife, you know, one flesh. This is something that God ordained from the very beginning. And he's saying things are so far from God's plan, so far from his will, that we've pulled the very fabric of society apart. Oh, we can see that. However, there's hope. There's hope. God also gave humans over to a debased calls it debased mind, incapable of consistently thinking about divine things in an accurate way. To finish, I'm not going to overslide. Well, you were drinking tea and eating biscuits. <laughs> so, just to finish tonight, and we're going to have a break and then we're going to have a chat. What does he say? Knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And this is why the church has to get on its knees and repent before God. Because we've got people in positions of power and influence in the so-called church who are, who are proving it and encouraging people to be it. Sorry, I'm getting my soapbox. Do you understand? It's an abomination before God that people who are supposed to be spiritual leaders in the nation again, not doing exactly this. No, they know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. They don't warn the people to repent. Some of them do. They're not warning the people, look, this is leading you down this, this road of destruction. There's a path of destruction. No, no, it's all right. Everybody's welcome in the Father's house. Well, that's true to an extent. Do you understand? But the way in the key is through faith and repentance. Not only do they do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. They celebrate it. They start putting flipping well, uh, <laughs> flags. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I do try and keep this calm. But I'm watching on the news and I'm seeing people putting flags 
decorated all of these church buildings. He's wrong, isn't it? Oh, hallelujah. And then you've got a list of things that it just describes a society that's far from God. But you know what? I'll add me a little rant. I'll add me a rant. I need a cup of tea. I need a I hope that I've put down, I've been able to put down that back cloth, you know? That, 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 that dark back cloth. I hope, super, unfortunately, it's a bit more to the next one. We've got to deal with the Jews, yeah? Right. Now, yes. Someone similar that Paul talks about in Philippians that the, the stars shine brighter on the back cloth of the dark sky. Yes, amen. Amen. We've got to shine brighter and brighter in the midst of the wicked and perverse generation. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to tell you something now. Like I said to you, this isn't so we can all point the fingers and everything, because every single one of us would be there right. if it weren't for the grace of God in our lives. In some way, you might not be practicing that, but in some other way, you'd be an abomination before yeah. God. Do you know what I mean? You'd be hating, you're thinking. Yeah. Amen. Go down.